Good morning. Good morning. Happy uh, Labor Day weekend. Um, I think uh, that uh, this is one of those uh, three-day weekends really are a gift from God, and I hope that uh, that is a a part of uh, just your Sabbath. uh, Maybe maybe that is what you have planned for tomorrow. What I'm loving is uh, I'm coming in here and I'm not having to introduce myself to everybody. Um, I'm getting to know some of you and um, hearing some stories, which has been great. Um, I think one way that we that we get to know, oh, yes, um, oh, that, that's right, kids can make their way to the back, we've got uh, stuff for you so that you don't have to listen to me, um, that's pretty much what that is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, my, my daughter may end up going back there, I don't know, um, no, so, uh, um, one of the, I think one way to get to know somebody is hearing an embarrassing story, and so I want to share <laughs> one of many embarrassing stories. As we hang out over the years, you'll, uh, you'll hear quite a few. Um, and for that matter, maybe I'll just make, make some new uh, embarrassing stories as we go along. But, uh, <clears throat> so when I was born, my ears were folded forward. Now, I don't know exactly how, what caused that. I don't know if it was just the way I was positioned in my mother's womb, but my ears were kind of pointed forward. Uh, and the doctor recommended to my parents that they tape my ears to the back of my head. And so I began my first few days here in, on this blessed planet with my ears taped to my head. Um, and then on top of that, I, I, uh, I was bald. So, so get this kind of this picture, um, I'm bald and my ears stick out really far and my dad in a very loving way said I look like a VW Beetle with the doors open. Um, it's the kind of encouragement I grew up with at home, but, uh, but thanks to eventually growing some hair and yards of scotch tape, my ears uh, now uh, go back a little bit further like they're supposed to. I tell you that story uh, for a couple reasons, one of them, Uh, We've been looking at these letters to churches in Revelation 2 and 3, and you may have noticed that each of the letters that Jesus writes to these churches ends with a phrase that says, um, everyone who has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Everyone who has ears to hear. In other words, Jesus is saying, um, yes, I'm writing this to a whole church, but I also want you to know that you have a personal obligation in this. If you have ears to hear, I want you to listen up um, because our natural bent is away from, from Jesus. The, the Bible refers to that as a sin nature. We have this natural bent. We don't have to teach our children how to do wrong, okay? Um, they, they will naturally do that. We naturally do that. And so um, we um, partner with Jesus in a way that he um, can help us live the life that he has called us to live. Uh, It takes more than scotch tape for these changes and this life transformation to take place. But what he is saying is, uh, Jesus is saying, I'm calling attention to a particular significant way that you may consider for your life to change uh, because of this wayward bent. Now, when I I tell the ears uh, facing forward, parents taping my ears uh, to my head story, uh, almost every time when I tell that story, people will look at me and go, well, it doesn't. It doesn't look like your ears stick out. To which I say, yeah, 
because my parents taped them to my head for weeks when I was first born. You know, there's a reason why they don't. And um, this is something that I've noticed is, uh, have you ever been talking to somebody who is, um, they share their story of like, this is how I used to live, but now this is, this is the new me because of Jesus? Here's the deal. I'm hearing, I'm meeting you, and so many of you, I'm hearing this, this uh, I'm meeting you in your already changed state, um, and not that, not that we don't have still uh, steps to take and a ways to go, but I'm meeting you, and I'm thinking, wow, what an amazing person, but then I, I hear your story of what life used to be like, and there's a part of me that was like, man, I, I can't imagine that you were like that. It's almost like, you know, but you could respond in a way by saying, well, c- correct. It's because Jesus kind of taped me in the right direction. Jesus took me in the right direction. That's what brought about these changes in my life. And I want you to know that I hope that life change, transformation is a part of every one of our stories. Uh, I hope that this time next year, we are telling stories of life change that God began maybe this very day. What if God was going to do something today that resulted in this uh, beautiful change in our life by this time next year? Um, one of those is, uh, I remember uh, meeting Barry. Those of you that know Barry, he re- has recently had a knee replacement surgery. In fact, one of the opportunities we have as a congregation to help him is by, by fixing some meals for him as he is recovering from, from this knee surgery. But he was telling me about the story of his life. And I was like, dude, I would have never guessed that about you, just seeing the joy that's in his life now. And I hope that that is a characteristic for each of us. And um, those of you that have ears to hear, I want you to hear that Jesus um, has great changes in store for you. He has great, great changes in store for, for each of us. Um, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I'm going to give you a second to, uh, I want you to connect with God in prayer. So I'm going to kind of guide you through a prayer. If you can, just uh, close your eyes right there where you are. If it helps you to focus, there's nothing extra spiritual about closing your eyes. It just sometimes will eliminate some of the distractions. And just in your own words, just pray um, as if Jesus were writing a letter to you. And pray something along the lines of, what what would you write to me today? What do you want to say to me today? And if you would, just take a moment and acknowledge that you have a bent away from Jesus. And as you invite him to speak to you, um, again, in your own words, just say, I want to know more about this life that you have for me. Speak to me and tell him you're all ears. You're all ears. Father, we thank you that you speak to us. Thank you uh, that you love us and you rejoice in stories of changed lives. I pray that as we look at these stories uh, this morning, uh, that we will be able to relate in a way that gives us hope. Uh, And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at 
two churches. Uh, the first one is Pergamum, and it's in Revelation 2. If you have a Bible or want to use one that's around you, you're welcome to do that. I'm going to start in verse 12, and, uh, but it's going to be on the screens as well. Uh, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. In other words, um, your ears are sticking out. There's something in your life that is not the way it should be. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to notice, to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the word of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So uh, he says to this, there's, uh, there's some beautiful symbolism in here that we're going to talk about, especially as we, as we wrap this up and enter into our time of communion. Um, but uh, Pergamum is, again, it's another city that was in Asia Minor at the time. And it was nicknamed Satan's city, okay? So Jesus begins his letter by acknowledging that they live in a place where Satan is alive and well. Um, so uh, it, last week I asked you, so what are, and you discussed this with those around you, what do you look for in a church? And you talked about um, biblical teaching and an opportunity to, to encounter community with other people and a uh, a group of people that you can go out and make a difference with. So many great things. This week, instead of what do you look for in a church, I want to know what do you look for in a neighborhood that you live in? What do you look for in the neighborhood you live in? It could be the things that you like about where you live now, or it could be, um, you know, if I was going to move somewhere in Marin, this would be some of the stuff that I, I would like. So um, turn to somebody next to you, and um, the two of you or the three of you begin talking about what are the things that you would look for in a city that you live in. All right. All right, what'd you come up with? What are some things that you look for in the city, the uh, town that you live in? No crime. No crime, okay, good, that's a great start. <laughs> I hear you. What else? Good neighbors, yeah, all right. De define a good neighbor. 
the good, uh, having those good, strong relationships. Yes. Somebody's, yeah. A place where you can play your drums. A pl- <laughs> <laughs> would that be in contrast to what you would consider a good neighbor? <laughs> yeah, okay, that's, uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah, how about you? Okay, yeah, just how accessible it is to the things that you need. I think, um, like if you Google certain cities, one of the scores that they get is walkability, um, even, and it has to do with, you know, how easy is it to get to, uh, to places like that. Yeah, yeah. Ideally near your church or near your work. Great, yeah, thank you for saying that. I, I asked him to say that. Um, no. <laughs> Yeah, somewhere, somewhere near where you can be in, in Christian community. I think that's very important. Yeah. Yes. The beauty of nature. The beauty, there we go. I was, I was wondering how many people would think of that. This, what a great thing that we have here that we don't have to go too far to look for that. I don't, does a neighborhood exist in Marin that doesn't have the beauty of nature? I mean, this is a, it's awesome. Yes. And the downside of that is the fire danger. The fire danger, okay. Okay, so we like... Um, wet nature this is what we really like yeah okay yeah we um, yeah we have just out our backyard is uh, the wetlands in Hamilton that used to be I, I don't know maybe it was a runway at one point um, but now it's a, um, a refuge and it's just beautiful the sunrise um, from what I hear early in the morning is great um, no. okay so I would have to say I agree with everything, I don't play the drums, but if I played the drums, I agree with everything that you, um, that you have said. I know for, for Beth and I, as we were moving here, we were looking at what schools our kids would be going to, so that was another feature that, that we considered, and uh, we asked our kids what they wanted, and then we did something total opposite, and uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but there's, there's certain things that we, we look for. Jesus describes their city as the place where Satan lives, okay? Um, I've had some bad neighbors, <laughs> but none that I would say, yeah, that was, I'm living next door to Satan right now, okay? <laughs> Nothing quite that bad. Um, if your neighbors don't like you, hopefully they don't think of you in that way either. But um, can we acknowledge that we live in a very unchristian part of the United States, okay? Um, that wasn't something that I was not aware of when I moved here. I knew that this was an area... Um, you know, I've lived in the Bible Belt of Alabama. Um, I've lived in Tampa. I've lived in St. Louis. And they had definitely a, a significant spiritual influence in all of those places, one that is missing here. I'm not saying that that's good or bad. I'm just saying it's very different here. This is not known for being a place where Jesus is on the throne. And so if you were to think of, man, of all the places to live, the last place I would want to be is where Satan lives, I can't help but think just the opposite. What a perfect place for a Christian to be. We live in one of the most unchristian parts of the United States. What a perfect place for us to be. Yeah. A lack of, a lack of violence here, yeah. And and even in the Bible Belt, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're really following Jesus. It could be a cultural thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that that wouldn't be an, also a good place. 
But I cannot think of a more ideal place to be a Christian than right here. Um, I've done the Christian bubble thing. If you're familiar with what I'm talking about, just kind of where we, we think as Christians, well, if we, if we can just insulate ourselves from everything that is bad, then it's going to be great. I'm telling you, that is one of the most empty ways to go through life because we're not fulfilling what God has called us to here. Um, so what has taken place here, we're going to t- touch on this a little bit more, but um, there were people that realized this is a really hard place to live, Pergamum is, but there, this is a great place because this is where God has put me. And they remained faithful, as difficult as it was there. Um, in verse 14, it says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the uh, teaching of the Nicolaitans. So you had some people who were very faithful, and then you had others who were swayed by um, some false teaching. In Numbers 22 to 24, this was like centuries before um, this church in Pergamum was established, Um, There was a story uh, that we read about in Numbers where Balaam told Balak that he could overthrow the Israelites if he would involve them in Moabite worship and some of their practices, which included sacred prostitution. So they weren't saying don't go to church and don't believe in your God, but they were just kind of introducing all of these other um, additional ways that they could live their life. And um, so what Jesus is saying here is, that what would undermine their calling to Pergamum as Christians is to compromise and to accept teachings that, con- that contradict the truth of Scripture. In other words, you can't say, um, yes, I love Jesus and I also love these things. It's this Jesus and mentality that was getting them in trouble. Um, so this is a few years ago. I'm at a coffee shop and I am sipping on coffee, thanking God for the nectar of the gods. And, uh, and I'm thinking about this coffee, and I'm thinking about how much I love coffee, but then it dawned on me, do I really love coffee like just the way it is? And so I, I journaled these thoughts. Coffee, I love coffee. Hand me a hot, fresh cup, and I say thank you, and I look for stuff to add to it. Anybody else with me on that? Actually, I love coffee and. I'm not, I'm not a, a poet, but I read a lot of Dr. Seuss. And uh, <laughs> um, so in, in my uh, very primitive Dr. Seuss mind, I wrote this poem. I love coffee and extra cream. I love Jesus, it would seem. I love coffee and a packet of Splenda. Do I love Jesus or just pretenta? <laughs> okay. Strip all the ands away till I am left with just Jesus. Can I make it through the day without the and, without adding to Jesus? My little coffee prayer. Father, give me the courage to step into a deeper love of Jesus. Period. Jesus. Black. Forgive me for the many times I ordered Jesus with extra room. And what was taking place in Pergamum, and I I think it is something that I struggle with, is I love Jesus. I'm not not necessarily denying Jesus, but maybe there's some other things that I think, boy, if I could 
follow Jesus, and if I could also do this, life would sure be better. If I could just dabble in this. If, if I can follow Jesus, and if he would just kind of give me a long enough leash to go ahead and do some of these things, then. And so what he is saying is, I, um, I don't want you to compromise. And he is saying, uh, have you heard the phrase, uh, Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world? Okay. Um, and this is kind of, it's rooted in scripture. In John 17, it says, the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. He's talking about Christians, that uh, the world, the uh, worldly influences, they did not like them because they were not of the world. They weren't like the world around them. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Don't take them out of those cities that they live in, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, what I think we have to be careful of here is that we, that we make being not of the world our goal. And that's not, that should not be the goal, is to be not of the world. Um, it's just the beginning place. Verse 18 in John 17 says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. In other words, we're not of the world, but it doesn't stop there. We have to realize that we have been sent into the world. I don't know what brought you to Marin. It could be your parents that just birthed you here. But God has a plan. God sent you here. He has a purpose for you here to be in this world, to be in Marin. And we are sent into this area so that we will leave a God-shaped dent in this area. There is not a better place for us to live. I love the nature. I love that my kids are in a good school. I love that I'm developing good friends with neighbors who don't play the drums. Just kidding, I'm gonna hammer. But I also love that there are some people that I've met already um, that are hurting, that are struggling. And I realize there's a reason why God has put our family here. There's a reason why God has placed you here. I used to think that God's ideal church was a group of people who finally figured out how to not sin, not do bad things, or make stupid choices. But now I understand that God's dream for the church is to do acts of justice, to take a stand for the voiceless and underprivileged, to redeem the brokenness of their city, and to do this in the name of Jesus. And to do these things, we have to accept that we have been sent into the world. So if you have ears to hear, do not compromise. Do not com compromise your allegiance to Christ alone. Because to do that, it, it can water down the effectiveness that we have. So uh, I want us to transition into this other letter, the letter to Thyatira. And of all the times that we have kids in the service, this is maybe one of them that we're going to read that is a little on the PG side. So uh, not that the kids are listening right now. But anyway, here we go. This one's a... Uh, this is not recommended bedtime reading if you have a preschooler, okay? To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, that you are now doing more than you did at first. Jesus acknowledges that there are people in this church that are getting it done, that have been so faithful over the long haul. 
There are so many of you here at Bay Marin who have been here for years. And the reason Bay Marin exists is in part because of your faithfulness to carry on the work that God is doing through this church. You serve with perseverance. And like it says here, you've done a lot and you do even more now than what you used to do. And I wonder if Jesus was writing a letter to Bay Marin, if he would say, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, that you are now doing more than you did at first. I wonder if he would say, you know, it isn't easy for you, given the many challenges Marin poses to living as a follower of Jesus. Despite all that's around you, you don't give in. I want you to know that I noticed that faithfulness in you. Continuing on, then there's this nevertheless. This is our least favorite part of the letter. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now this was likely not a woman who was named Jezebel, but for this group of people that grew up with an understanding of what we refer to as the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, they would remember that there was a lady named Jezebel who was very evil and led Christians to indulge in practices very similar to what we were reading about with the church of Pergamum. And there was a, a common teaching in that day, a Gnostic teaching that claimed it doesn't matter what you do with your body because that's going to go away someday anyway. So you can do whatever you want with your bodies and it doesn't really have any impact on you. And, um, and so that teaching was being refuted by Christians because what we do with our body does impact our soul. Um, even if it's uh, maybe one of the best things, one of the most spiritual things that you can do tomorrow is sleep in and get some rest. I mean that. I think as we care for our bodies, we are in a better position to continue to grow, to love Jesus, to love those around us. What we do with our bodies is very important as it's all intertwined and enmeshed, as we are body, spirit, mind, soul. And so in this letter, Jesus makes it very clear that what we do with our body does affect all the other areas of our life. Um, verse 24, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. I liked... Um, I thought of this phrase as we were singing the song, might have been the first one, uh, those who wait upon the Lord, uh, your, your strength will be renewed as you wait upon the Lord. And it, in my mind, it seems like it would be just the opposite. The longer you hold on, you'd start to lose your grip, you know? But it actually, it's just one of those countercultural things that with Jesus, the longer we hold on, the stronger we get. Hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says 
to the churches. So he gives us this opportunity to rethink the way that we look at the world. And he's not saying don't do this because um, he is this God who loves to just sock it to us and hit us with lightning bolts. He is a God who says, I have this beautiful life waiting for you. But if you mix with it, Jesus and these things, you're missing out on the beauty of the life that I have for you. And it just so happens that it also compromises your testimony. So I want to go back and just mention two brief things, and then we're going we're gonna to take communion together. If you have ears to hear and follow the words of Jesus, what can you expect? And there are several promises that are given to us. I want us to go back to what was mentioned for the church in Pergamum. Um, for two promises. Revelation 2.17 says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. As for the white stone, a brief history will help you out in knowing what they're talking about here. In the court of the Oropagus, um, in trying all criminal cases that could, be, uh, that could include the death penalty, um, they were tried, and the judges carried two stones, one white and one black. And when the case was finished, the judges walked by an urn or some type of a basket and dropped one stone into the urn. The black stone represented uh, condemnation. The white stone set the person free. Pretty powerful image. The word for Satan used in this letter is the word that means accuser. He is the accuser, which is also a legal term. Now picture this. Satan steps forward for his closing arguments against you. The accuser points his bony finger your direction, accusing you and listing reasons why you should be condemned. Satan is the accuser, but Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge, and Jesus says to the Christians, to you I give the white stone. Regardless of the accuser's closing argument, Jesus is the judge, and in the final judgment, he will declare Christians not guilty. Can you imagine being a part of that? This is a promise that we have as we choose to follow in the ways of Jesus. He has those two stones, and he is saying, I'm going to give you the white stone stone. You are no longer condemned. But even more than that, it's a white stone with a new name written on it. So let's think about this. Um, it's a new name written on it that will be a secret. It's, it's not known to anyone else. It's going to be just between Jesus and the person who receives it. And what this implies is a very close relationship. I know you so well, I'm going to give you a new name, and it's just going to be the special name that I call you. It's just going to be that special way that you and I can connect. And you're going to know that I'm talking to you when I use this name. In this room, there is someone known to the state of California as Elizabeth Renee Taylor. More informally, she is also known as Beth. Um, she is also known by, uh, by her children as Mom. 
She is also known by me as wife. And there are times when I will use the name Beth when I talk to her. I might introduce her as my wife. I might say, this is my kid's mom. But Beth and I have a relationship where we have names that have just grown out of our love for each other as we have gotten to know each other. And that's not going to be a name that I'm going to shout out loud, but it would be more of a personal name that I would share with her. That she would know, I don't refer to anyone else like I do her with that name. Jesus wants to write a new name for you. He wants to have this personal relationship with you. Yes, you are forgiven. Yes, you are a child of God. Yes, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But I wonder if there is a new name that he has for you that he will use when you enter into heaven. If there is a name that he will call you in particular as you, as you cross over from this life to the next. So as we prepare for communion, um, I want you to process a few things. And those of you that are going to help with communion or um, leading us in this closing song, you can begin kind of making your way, getting in place. Um, communion is a way that we celebrate, that we remember that because of Jesus, we have been forgiven. Because of Jesus, we are no longer condemned. Because of Jesus, uh, we have been given the white stone. He places that in our hands. And this was done because of his work on the cross. His, he willingly shed his blood as a way to atone for our waywardness, the way that we had this bent in the wrong way. He didn't use tape to reset us straight. He used his body. He said, I'm willing to go this far for you to experience this fullness of life that I have for you, to forgive you and to get you going on the right track. And so, if you would, I think there's just something kind of, I think there can be something really powerful about just using our imaginations as we interact um, with God. So I'm going to ask you again to close your eyes. And I want you to picture yourself at a table, kind of a smaller table, and it's just you and Jesus. I don't know what Jesus looks like to you. Maybe he's dressed in normal clothes like what we wear today. Maybe he's in a robe. That kind of stuff doesn't matter. I'm sure he's wearing a beard because that's what godly people do is they have a beard. The important part is I want you to see you and Jesus at this table together. And I want you to hear Jesus say to you, as he's holding a cup, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. And with that bread, he holds it in front of you and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body offered for you. Don't listen to the accuser. That self-condemnation that plays over and over in your mind I've given you the white stone. You are guiltless, blameless, made righteous in my sight. And I've also, I've got a new name just for you. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And uh, we're going to 
take communion and just uh, by standing now, uh, just preparing yourself for that. But we're also going to think through as we step into this line. Um, let's just remember that Jesus is handing us the white stone. And this is really why we celebrate communion. We are celebrating what he has done for us. So let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus willingly coming to earth, living in a city that was not a God-honoring place. He modeled for us what it's like to live in an unchristian, so to speak, neighborhood. And we also thank you, Jesus, for providing the sacrifice that allows us to be exempt from condemnation. Lord, we recognize um, this abundant goodness and mercy and grace that you give to us. And as we partake this morning, we say thank you for your body, for your blood. And Lord, we are all ears to hear that new name that you have for those who have called upon you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As you are ready, you can begin making your way forward. You'll take the bread and you'll dip it in the cup. And may this be a reminder of God's love for you. I have been looking forward to this time with you all week, and I'm already going to start looking forward to time with you next week, um, as we, especially as we get some people back from um, much-needed vacations and things like that. Um, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, probably say it a lot. This is a great place to be, but it's not necessarily the best place to stay. Because out those doors is where God has called us to go. And Jesus said in a prayer to his Father, just as you have sent me into this world, so I send them into this world. So may we find our place out there um, in the world in Marin this week. And then see you next week. Thanks. All right. <laughs>